So, today's stuff is stuff Tet. We pick up on the bottom of Chalam Tet, and um, we are discussing, we got on a bit of a digression, because it mentioned the size of the baskets that they would use to do the Truma Halishka, the removing of the coins that had gathered in this chamber where they had put all the shekels, which they did three times a year, with three ba- each time they used three baskets, each one having three se'ah. So that led to a whole discussion about uh, sizes of other things that are not explicit in certain Mishnayot and the size that they would use for um, for a cup of Kiddush or for carrying on Shabbos amount of wine and the Yarpa Koso touched on issues we did in Psachim and now we talk so we're still in that context about the size of a Kos and we pick up here at the bottom of Cherem Bet and it's um, uh, four lines from the bottom I'm Rabbi Khanin so said Rabbi Khanin Luga de Oraisa, so the b- biblical log, what is that in today's measures, is Tmunsa Atikta, the old Tmuna, the Muraisa de Tsipori, that they used to measure uh, fish brine in Tsipori. So now you all know. Okay, Amarebiona, the Chachmina, the Chachamnala, now we had that word actually before Chachamna, which means recognize. You um, debate Rebiyan, um, uh, and I recognize that. Debate Rav Yanai have a machilin badvash because in the house of Rav Yanai they use this measure to measure honey. Okay, so anyway, so that's one measure. By the way, interesting the phrase machilin to measure is uh, the same word used for the Tanaitic work on Shemot, which is called the machilta, which is like the collection, like to gather yeah. things together. Contents, uh, yeah. Well, so okay, so anyway. It's a, yes, a volume, it's a volume measure. By the way, it was Sa'ah, that's for coins. Like, how big a basket is that? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Like, I look at the basket by the window, is it like... Oh, no, 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 much, no, bigger, much yeah. bigger, much, much bigger. bigger right? I should get you some equivalent, but I, I, I'll get it to you. Okay, now, now, Tani, we talked about Bryce, the Chatish Minis Tabernis, a eighth of this thing that was called a Tiberian Shminit, Hayushana, the old one. That would presumably be a measure for, um, also, for this, um, uh, I'm sorry, I need a bigger Gemara. It's half of a Tiberian Shemini. Yeah. You have, this isn't yeah. the normal print. When it? we bought Tiberian Brine. Did you just have a, what? Yeah, no, it doesn't have yeah. Okay, thank you. All right. So, um, okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, so it says like this. Anyway, this was uh, also the equivalent, not clear what it's equivalent to. Is it equivalent to the, um, to the Logue or the Carbonate said it's equivalent to the Revius? Um, but this is another measure that we have nowadays that's equivalent to a biblical measure. Thank you very much. All right, so, so the top of the Gemara on Tanamaralt. So I'm Rabbi Yochanan. Mm, that's good. So Rabbi Yochanan said, "Hadain Yudanhu, this uh, thing, this uh, ancient Tiberian Sheminit, is really. I guess the reason that the Kabbalah assumes it's a Revius is because half of a Sheminit is a Revius. But anyway, but that's not true. A Sheminit yeah. is an eighth. You have to double it, <laughs> right? Anyway, uh, anyway. So Rabbi Yochanan says that ancient Sheminit, Yudanhu. It's like it's one of ours. We know what a Sheminit is. We have that measure now." The Lama Karle Atika, so why are you calling it the ancient Sheminit? We have this measure right now. So, mean begin to have biyome, because it's, it, it, it exists in our days, but East Ami, but some say to have the era of the Rabsa, that the ancient, that it actually used to be smaller, and now it's made, and now it's yeah, bigger than it used to be. So, yes, we have something called the Tiberian Sheminit, but that's not the one we were to use for this measure. So that's why we refer to the ancient one. So the East Ami, yeah, the East Ami, and some say, the Azura actually know that it, we, we re-shrank it so it was small, it got bigger, then we re-shrank it, the one we have now. But below Az-Ira Kamad the Havis, but we didn't shrink it as much as it used to be. So the bottom line still being, it's not exactly the size as the ancient one, and therefore we refer to the ancient one. Uh, exactly. Okay. Now, Kamahushir Shokos. What is the size of a coast? Which is again the question about how big is the Revius. 
So the Gemara says, Rabbi Yossi Bershem Rabbi Yossi Ben Pazai, Rabbi Yossi Barbibi Bershem Rabbi Shmuel, says, Etzba Ayma, Etzba Ayma, Rome, Etzba, Umechsa, Vashlish Etzba. Two Etzbas by two Etzbas by 1.833 Etzbas. One and a half and a third. 1.833 Etzbas. Now, of course, you'll all immediately say to me, but Rabbi Linzer, didn't we learn in Sachem that it was 2 by 2 by 2.7, not 2 by 2 by 1.833? So that's what I said to myself, and I couldn't find anybody who discusses it, so I don't know what the answer is. But actually, maybe, but uh, if you remember the math we did when we did it in Sachem, it actually worked out quite straightforwardly to be that measure. So I don't know how this is. Actually, none of the commentators on the side even discussed this line. So who knows? Maybe they didn't have it. Maybe there's a anyway. It's a it's a different size than the Bavli has. Okay, Yavesh. Now, if you have wine that is dried up, Kizayis. A, a Revius dried up will be the size of a Kizayis. This is also a pl- number of places in the Bavli where it assumes that a congealed Revius will be a Kizayis. Um, so presumably, maybe that means for carrying on Shabbos, if you carry a dried up. Uh, wine, you have to carry a kezayah size, even though when you carry the um, the concentrate, it's a quarter of a revius, because you would mix it with water, since you don't mix the dried up wine, you go by the full size of the coast by the revius, and therefore a dried up kezayah, a dried up revius of wine would be a kezayah. Dive Rebbe Nathan. Those are the words of Rebbe Nathan. But in the case where Rebbe Yossi Barbibi became Shmuel, Atiyah Rebbe Nathan Kreb Shimon. That idea that Rebbe Nathan is saying that Kezayis goes like, presumably again, for carrying dried up wine on Shabbos, follows the teaching of Rebbe Shimon. Kemad Rebbe Shimon Amr Berevius, the same way Rebbe Shimon says by Shabbos you only hide for carrying a Revius of wine, not a quarter of a Revius of the concentrate. Kenam Rebbe Nathan Berevius, the Kashi Karish, Vehebe Kezayis. So Rebbe Nathan was saying that that Revius, when it dries up, is Kezayis, meaning that a Kezayis is understood, what's not debated, is, is that the kezayis presumably is the amount of is, is how much a revius will be when it congeals but the question is if this is for carrying on Shabbos why do we go by a revius and not by what we normally say when we deal with the concentrate a quarter of a revius so you could say which some of the Nosei Kalim say that you only use the quarter of a revius size when you're dealing with the actual concentrate in its liquid form because then it's significant because then it could easily be added water to and made into the revius when it's in this congealed form it loses significance that small of a size but what the Gemara here is saying is, is that no maybe actually he holds that even in the concentrate form you need a full revius and therefore in the congealed form you would need a kizai. And that's the position of Rabbi Shimon that says even wine in its liquid form it goes by a revius, not a quarter of a revius. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, about the finger width? Oh, I forgot to check the toes with there. I was checking everyone here. Okay, there you go. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Siporia's fingers? I don't understand. What does he say? But Sipori Revius? Oh, that was just the standard finger width they used in Sipori. Okay. They use a different standard finger width in Sipori. Interesting. Okay. I forgot the Tosos. All right. So now, the, anyway, so that's the issue about the Kezayis. So now the Gemara continues with this, and about this issue about a Revius when it congeals. And again, there's a sugya like this in the Bavli in a number of places. Um, so we turn to talking about from wine to talking about um, uh, dead um, animals. So let's take a look. So the Gemara says like this. Reb Simon B'Shem Reb Yeshua Ben Levi, Maisa B'Pardach Rebbe. There's a story with the uh, Preda, what's the Preda? Is it a mule, a donkey? I keep getting confused. What? Mule. Okay, female mule. No, mules don't come in female, right. do they? they do. Well, they're sterile. They just, they're but, sterile. They, they, but they do come. Right. Okay. They're almost always sterile. Okay. So there's a story with the mule of Rebbe, Shemesa, that it died. Vitira es dama mishum nevela. And they said the blood is not a problem of nevela, because nevela is only the meat, not the blood. But now it becomes an interesting question. In some areas of halacha, would we consider blood to be like the meat? And if you had enough blood, and if you had its equivalent in meat, it would be tameh, what would we say about the blood? Uh, uh, would the blood be tameh as well? By a dead corpse, it's not just about the meat. By the dead corpse, it's a mace, even the bones, the blood. You need, each amount has a certain, each thing has a different amount, but it's not the 
defined by the meat, but by Nivzela, we say that only the meat is matame, and here they said the blood wasn't a problem. So that, what is the reason for that? Was it categorically excluded, or was it that there was not enough of the blood? So let's take a look. V'tiyaru es dama. V'shah Rabbi Eliezer, es Rabbi Simon, Rabbi Eliezer asked Rabbi Simon, Adkama, how much blood would they have said was okay? Which is this question. Is the blood categorically tahor because it's not meat? Or is it because it was less than a certain amount? I mean, wait, okay. was it like a chopped up thing? I mean, yeah, somehow the blood ran off. They removed the, uh, they removed the dead mule and there was a puddle of blood and they said, oh, that's not a problem. So why is it not a problem? Because blood isn't a problem because there wasn't enough of it to be a problem. So he said, Adkama. Hello, Ashkach Bey. And Reb Simon ignored him. Vishal Rabbi Yosho ben Levi. So then, if he wasn't getting an answer from Rabbi Lezer, he turned to Rabbi Yosho ben Levi. Um, okay, one minute. The um, Amalei and Rabbi Yosho ben Levi said to him, Adrivi is tahor, Yosem Rivi is tamei. Up to a Rivius, it's okay. More than that is tamei, because a Rivius of blood, when it congeals, becomes a Kazayas. And that would be similar to a Kazayas of meat. So the same way a Kazayas of meat is tamei, a, a revius of blood is also Tanay, and the reason it was Tahoe was it was less than a revius. Now, it is a little bit funny that it says Yosem revius, because normally the assumption is that a revius of liquid will become a Kizayas when it congeals. So then it should be Ad revius Tahor, revius the Yoser Tamei, not Yoser Mirafiit. The Gemara does not seem to be bothered with that. It assumes, anyway, it's not, going to, it's not focusing on the question of the exact Rivi'it. But according to this, fundamentally it would be Tamei. The Mepharshim say this was Rabbinic. Biblically, it's only the meat, but Rabbinically, it would be Tamei once it hits a Rivi'it. That's what Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi said. He didn't get an answer from Rabbi Simon. Yes. Yeah, is, is there a pattern around this Balat Eshkach Bein, in other words, moments when Chachalachis <laughs> simply are silent, assumed, yeah. the noise, well, we're going to see. The Gemara's not going to ignore that. We're going to see. Okay, now, Rabbi Simon was not at the story. I want to make it clear who's talking. But Rabbi Simon said this teaching in the name of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. So Rabbi Eliezer heard this teaching, must be Rabbi Lazar or whatever, the, the Amora, said to Rabbi Simon, let me understand what was going on there. Was it that fundamentally it was Torah or wasn't enough? And Rabbi Simon ignored him. So then he, so I said, Rabbi Simon said in the name of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, he wasn't getting an answer from Rabbi Simon. For Rabbi Simon, he turned to Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. It actually evokes the Gemara we learned yesterday that you have to hear it straight from the source. Anyway, now the Gemara says, Ubash, Rabbi Lezer, and Rabbi Lezer, it was evil in Rabbi Lezer's eyes. He was annoyed. He, Rabbi Simon, Rabbi Simon wouldn't give him an answer. Why did he have to go to Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi? He asked him a legitimate question. Why was he ignored? Okay, we're not done with that. Um... Um, Shmu, um, Shmu that he didn't give him back a, a teaching. Now, Rabbi Bibi Rabbi was sitting, telling over this story. Same question. When they said the blood was Tahor, were they saying until he revealed it was Tahor and more would be Tameh, or were they saying categorically it would be Tahor? Ubatbe, and he kicked him. <laughs> something means like he, you know, he, he dissed him or something. Now, also, what's interesting is it sounds the one who kicked him, it sounds like he asked it from um, Rabibi, right, who was teaching it over. But for some reason, the Corbinator says that he went and he asked Rabbi Simon, Rabbi Simon, so it was the same person who was refusing to answer questions. He told over the name of Rabbi Simon, so he went and he asked Rabbi Simon, and Rabbi Simon also, this time, instead of ignoring him, he kicked him. Amalei Reb Zrekas, Reb Zrekas said to him, whoever the kicker was, He asked you a legitimate question. You're kicking him? What's going on here? So Amalei, it was sort of maybe copying what a mule does, right? He'll get to know how to kick. I don't know. Amalei, begin to low have a dighty bee, because I was, uh, you know, my, I, 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 my, 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 uh, my, my mind wasn't settled. You know, I wasn't in a good frame of mind. Be eaten a bay, I kicked him. What? The Amalei Chanad, this is the curse in Dvarim. Your life will be suspended to you from, a, you know, in front of you. That's somebody who doesn't own any land. And you have to, you rely on others. You have to purchase. So you purchase for a whole year. So it's not, but you do have stuff in the storehouse and, the, you know, they saved up funds. But still, you have no source of producing it for yourself. And therefore, yeah, there's a sense that your life is not so, you know, so, so stable, so, so secure. And then the verse goes on and says, you'll be afraid night and day, which is even a greater sense. Every day you're afraid. That's somebody who buys, they say, Sadki is like the, uh, 
you know, like the store owner, it's the uh, retailer. So you don't even have an, a year's worth stored up. Every single day or every single week, you have to go to the supermarket and buy some grain. So you never know whether you really can rely on it. You know, it's hard for us to relate to this. I think I've mentioned this before. They say that when Gorbachev came to the States, the thing that impressed him the most was the supermarkets. Mm-hmm. Like, he looked around and he said, not only the amount of choice that you have, but like, you can feel so confident. Like, there's always food available. You know that there's going to be food, you know? Whereas as opposed to like, you know, you, you never know. Is there going to be food the next day? So, um, on the shelves. On the shelves, right. The store will be open yeah, whether yeah, there'll be any food on the yeah, shelves. Famous, uh, pictures. Exactly, like exactly. Um, so, okay. The low tamin b'chayecha, which is apparently even worse, that you won't, you know, trust even any moment of your life. Zelo kechmina palta. You're not, you don't even buy your own flour, so you don't have any stores. You're just buying, you know, already baked bread. And that maybe is even seen as more precarious, like you don't know if it'll be available. So, what does all this have to do with it, you? And I, every day I rely on the bed from the baker, so I'm always in a very anxious, frustrated, whatever mood. I never, I never feel settled. So what does it mean? Like he would never give an answer to any question, because he would always be in this, uh, in, this, in, this, in this frame of mind? Well, maybe he hadn't gotten his bread yet. Very strange what the response is. By the way, in Eretz Yisrael, I know that I don't know if this is, uh, I, I have no idea I, 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 about checking like the, you know, the dates and the historical setting, but definitely was a whole issue in, you know, in Eretz Yisrael when it was uh, controlled by the Romans, a period where there was like runaway inflation and then they began to subsidize the bread and that, a, a lot of the leniencies about pas palter, about bread bought from the bakers, right, you know, their leniencies as opposed to normal pa- bread brought from non-Jews is because the, uh, that, that was subsidized by the Roman government. So therefore, it was more so that was seen as like you need to rely on the baker's bread. I have no idea if this fits into any of that discussion. Anyway, so we, so that's what we get. It's fascinating. Like it, <laughs> it doesn't really explain it. Why all by this? He got so upset. He kicked. He didn't answer. Anyway, he blamed it on the fact that he was very anxious about where his uh, you know about where his uh, where his sustenance, where his food was coming from. Just to say, I like somebody who uh, today. I feel like somebody. Oh. But it's not exactly what he said. He said, "Banasa michna palter." All right, that's, that's a good well, point. Today, you know, today, I was relying on a palter. All my, all my, all my bread, all my, uh, uh, you know, wheat was used up, and I was, I don't know. Okay, umakidon. So, what is anyway the halacha? Back to the halachic discussion. Does it go? You know, is it an amount of? Does it go by an amount, or is, or is blood of a novella categorically tahor? So, hey, Rabbi Yeshua ben Pesora, al-dam nevela shuhu tahor. We have a b'rita that says, the Rabbi Yeshua ben Pesora, actually I think it might be a Mishnah in Edios. Yes, yeah, a Mishnah in Edios, that the blood of nevela is categorically tahor. So that seems to prove that it's not a question of amount. Categorically it's tahor. So it says, no. Ma tahor tahor milahashir. Avulatamos mitame. So it tries to reinterpret it. Tahor means that it does not make uh, food like susceptible for tumah. It's not machia when food has to come in contact with liquid in order to be susceptible for tumah. So blood of an avela, some blood will do that, but not blood of an avela. But actually, it itself would be a source of tumah, which is a pretty serious rereading. It says it's tahor, and it really means it's tameh. But anyway, so the Gemara doesn't. It still challenges this. Tamantanina, but we taught over there in Machshiri in another Mishnah. Dama sheretz kibsaro, the blood of a sheretz, of a rodent, is like its flesh. Metame ve'eno machir, that has exactly this quality you just claimed for the blood of an avela, which is that it causes tumah, the same way flesh of a sheretz causes tumah, but it does not make grain, you know, food, fruit, grain, whatever, susceptible for tumah. And, but then the mission continues. The Ainlanu Kiyosebo. Nothing is like that. No other blood is like that, that it is mitame and not machir. So you can't say that's true by Nevela, because this says this was only true by the blood of a sheriff. The sheer tumaso, kibsaro, and the sheer, so the sheer of the tuma is the same as this, uh, is the same way of the blood is the same as the flesh. So the same way the flesh of a of a uh, sheriff is kiadasha, the size of a lentil bean. The same is true about the blood. Okay. So the Yosi, flee but train a 
actually this issue whether blood of an Avela is metame that now you've brought some good Mishnahic evidence that blood of a Mishnah is metame um, that it says only a sheret is excluded I'm sorry it's not that only a sheret has this issue of the difference between machshir metame the simple Mishnah that you quoted before and Edyo said that the blood of an Avela is not metame so this question is blood of an Avela metame or not is a debate of a Morayim the one that says blood of an Avela is Tamei to Rabbi Yehuda like Rabbi Yehuda because there's another Mishnah which we didn't quote that Rabbi Yehuda said that according to Beit Hillel that it's the debate of Beit Tamei and Beit Hillel and according to Beit Hillel blood of an Avela is Matamei okay so yet so there, uh, there is an opinion of an Amor that goes like Rabbi Yehuda that goes like a Tana that says it is and the one that says it's Torah, Rabbi Yeshua ben Pesorah, like the, what we just quoted, the mission of Rabbi Yeshua ben Pesorah, that said blood of an Avela is fundamentally Tahor. Okay, so we quoted a mission that said it was Tahor. How could you say that it's Tameh and it's just an issue of amount? And in the end it said it's a Machlokas Tanayim and it's a Machlokas Amarayim according to the different Machlokas of the Tanayim. Is blood of an Avela fundamentally Tahor or does it, is it only Tahor with a certain size? Amalei Rav Avduma to me Nachusa. So Rav Avduma from Nachusa said the Yehus to Reb Yehuda Moraina de Bein Nesiyahave, and actually it works out well because Reb, because Reb Yehuda was the posseg basically for the house of the Nasi and if you remember the house of the Nasi back there was Rebbe it was the uh, donkey of Rebbe the mule of Rebbe excuse me so Rebbe Yehuda was the, but they were Metayer but we said they were only Metayer because it was less than a certain amount so that's now consistent because he Rebbe Yehuda Paskins that blood of an Avela is Metame once it's a certain size so when we said before that they were Metayer of the blood because it was less than a certain size that was caused that was following the Psaq of Rebbe Yehuda who was the posseg for the house of the Nazi okay so is there so again Rebbe Yehuda the blood was they said it was Tahor the question was was it tar- categorically or because it was less than an amount less than Orvius they said it was because it was less than Orvius they showed that there are opinions that say categorically it's Tahor but we're going like the opinion that fundamentally it would be Tameh at least rabbinically when it was Orvius because then it could become a Kezayis and the reason we're assuming that was the Psaac that was going on there was because it was Reb Yehuda who was the postate for Rebbe's house but and that's his position so I actually was going to point that out you know the Babli has no problem speaking about all the rabbis that would have to pass in for the Reish Galusa because the Reish Galusa, the head of the uh, of the exile in Bavel, was you know never have any question that he didn't, whether he knew Torah. He, I mean, something he, he didn't know any Torah, right? Really? And he needed and there was just, normally an assumption that a lot of inappropriate things were going on in his house halachically, and the rabbis had to be there to monitor things and to give psakim, and that's like a regular thing in the Bavli. The Ushami, it assumes, you know, Rebbe, you know, Rebbe is, is not only the political leader; he was also you know the uh, the Talmud Chacham. He was also you know the great rabbi. So it is interesting here seeing that, you know, I mean, you know, it does raise interesting questions, right? How much time did Rebbe have to be in the base Medrash if he was busy running the whole, you know, the whole political system? So it's interesting here to see the assumption that, no, he actually needed a post, an in-house postage. He couldn't always deal with every Shiloh that came up. Okay, so now it comes up. Um, now, Shemayani Viyomru. So this, this gets back to the Mishnah, which says you make sure that the guy who's going in to collect, take out the mon, money, um, you know, isn't wearing any cuffs on his garments or whatever. So not, it doesn't say we're afraid he's going to steal, but we're afraid people are going to think he stole. And if something happens afterwards, he gets richer, he'll or gets poor. They'll interpret it that it was all because he stole the money from the um, from um, from the Lishkasagazis. So therefore, we not Lishkasagazis from the Lishka. So therefore, we make sure that he has. No, is beyond suspicion. Rabbi, yes. By the way, up until this second, I thought it was and a person as an individual should not place oneself in that position. But now it's so clear to me it would cast aspersions on the kahuna. Or on the whole system about it's not right. exactly clear and who's going in, but on the whole on the whole base of Mikdash system. Right. right. It is true, but then the way the Mishnah says the Ethan Nikiim, it does trans ter- interpret it at a very like individual level as well. Oh. That's but you are right that the implications here would be much greater. So Tani we taught in Bryce Rabbi Shmael says kavat lo yitrom so it's not exactly what kavat means some say it means a hairy person somebody with long with long tr- uh, tresses like kvusasav tal talim or something because you know then you get to stick the money in your hair okay so uh, so you needed to get a, a, a marina you know whatever haircut okay anyway 
Tani, we thought of Bryce Hagiz Barin. I quoted you, this is mostly the Tosefta. Hagiz Barin, how you mefastasin, the Kilkalin, the Gizbarin would sort of, would, uh, would, do a, would do a body search, um, in him before he would go in. So Kilkalin, some say it means, again, his hair, um, or whatever that, you know, um, or some say it means his garments. But anyway, they would do, they would, they, they, they would pat him down before and after. Okay? So. Tani, midabin hayu imo, they would speak to him, from the time he would go in to the time he would go out, so he wouldn't start swallowing the coins. Okay, so the Lord says, why not fill his mouth with water? Have him go in with a mouth full of water, and come out, and you'll see that his mouth is still full of water, so what, so he won't be able, what, what will he be able to do? So, Amarav Tanchuma, Bitnehav Racha, which is interesting. So in passing, we're saying, no, you know what? When he removed the money, he made a bracha. So the same way you make a bracha on taking truma, you make a bracha on taking this truma from the collected funds. Again, which is a very yeah. funny idea. So no, but that's how good it, you wouldn't, you couldn't hold water in your mouth. That one, so therefore we talk to you until you make the bracha and then we keep on talking. Yeah, they said when he's actually, you know, oh, lifting the money out with the basket. Now, of course, it's interesting because the, the constant phrase of this is truma talishka and the ritualizing of this. I mean, all you're doing is you've been throwing all the money into one room and now you're just collecting mm-hmm. some out and moving it to another room and start using it. But they made it into this whole ritual of truma talishka, you know, and we'll see in a minute and the next mission is going to talk more how they ritualized it. So it's quite a- interesting that they would sort of make a bracha on this. Yes. Well, it's starting to sound like the coin going to I was thinking about that. Why, I was, you know what? I was thinking about that. Why not keep the door open and watch him while he's doing it, or go in with him? Yeah, I mean, unless unless maybe if you go in with him, then the guy, other guys will be in at it with him. So, but yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. That whole idea—it's true. It does sound like that. People are going in with him. They can't work off. Right. Which is kind of weird. Yeah. I know. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. So, Amar of Tanchuma, Mitnebrach, okay. Rav Shmua Bar Nachman, B'Shem Rav Yonasan, B'Torim B'Nevim B'Ksuvim, Masan Shadam Tarek, Lasei Shidei Habriya. We find this in Torah Nevim B'Ksuvim, that you have to not only, not, you know, be, um, be innocent, but also be beyond reproach. Um, the same way that you're innocent by God, and God knows the truth, but you also have to be beyond suspicion from people. The Torah Minai, where do you get it from? Torah Dechsiv, Vizim Nikiim Hashem Misrael. And you shall be clean, like again, beyond suspicion, both from God and from the people. Vizim Nikiim Dechsiv, Elohim Hashem, God is the God, Israel who Yeda, and Israel will know. You know, this is um, also that, you know, Israel has, so, um, so actually, this is quoted in the Tosefs, I'm trying to remember what the original context was. Um, Hashem hu yodea v'yisrael hu yadah. Um, yo, yeah. Oh, right, right, right. This was the story when they went to Aver HaYardane and they thought that they were building a, uh, that they were going to break off and do a civil war and that they were building a bummer and they sent a whole, like, uh, you know, a whole sort of uh, diplomatic mission there and they said, no, God knows and Israel knows that we are innocent and that we have never, we were not planning to do any type of a rebellion and so on. So they were saying, not only does God know, Israel knows as well. You will find favor um, in the eyes of God and people. Not just the eyes of God, but also people. Gamliel Zuga, interesting name. Gamliel Zuga, no means what pair, anyway. Which of these three psukim is the clearest one that gets this, hits home this message? Because it's true, the idea of naki, right, means like, like clean, clean from any suspicion, any besmirching, your, your, your reputation is completely pure. Okay, and that's the one that says that it has to be not only vis-a-vis God, but as far as people are concerned as well. Okay, now we get back to the actual act of taking the truma and the ritualization of it. Let's take a look. So Rebengamliel would time it. They didn't want to just put their money in the room and then wait for, you know, the three times in the year for the, the money to be taken because maybe their money would be left behind. They wanted to make sure their shekel was used for the korban and wasn't something left behind. You know, one wonders how this was allowed because like that, yeah. then it makes everybody else feel bad that maybe their money was left he behind. Was but he was Rebengamliel. Rebengamliel. He's the Nazi, you know. It's good to be the Nazi. So anyway, they throw it right into the person who was removing the funds right, when they did this act of truma which they did three times a year 
Vatarim mitkaven v'tchvol l'toch ha-kupa. And the Korain had kavana, whatever, like grabbed the money, said, oh, this is Rem Gamliel, and put it into the basket in which he was doing the trumafra, in which he was doing the truman, the funds that were being removed. Now we get to the ritual. The Torah does not remove the, uh, the, the you know, the, 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 the monies, you know, in, these ba- in the baskets, you know, do like a scooping out of the money. He says to them, whoever the them is, the people that are supervising it, should I take the truma? Oh, they, the Omer. It's like, yeah, or, or, right. Do it three times. What? We yeah, we do that with the Omer, we do it three times, and, you know, we do it with the guy who's standing at the top of the base on Mikdash, waiting for it to be daybreak, oh, right? Right, oh, exactly. So we, there's a whole ritual we do in base of Mikdash in ways of, yeah, right, exactly, three times, and ritualizing and asking and getting responses. Should I take the truma? A throne? They know me low throne. Take it. Then trome, trome. Now, some say what it means is they did it three times. Should I take it? Take it. Should I take it? Take it. Three times, and then he did it. Shalosh Brahmin. Three times. Tarmus Arishona. Now, he took the first one. Now, what this presumably means, I'll tell you in a minute the way the Rambam reads these Mishnayot. He introduces a new idea that's not in here. But the simple sense is, there were three times during the year, right? Before Pesach, before Shuvah, before Sukkot. So, after Pesach, he did whatever the three baskets worth, but there was stuff left behind. So after that first one, what did he do? Um, he would cover it with some type of a tarp. Okay, so in order that the second truma he took, at when, which he would take a swift time, would be only from the new funds collected. So he laid a tarp over the old stuff, so all the new money would, put, would be put on top of the tarp, so the second truma would only be from the new what funds. We'll see, we'll see. Okay, Hashniya, so he took the second one. He covered it up with a tarp. Shlishit, the third one, he would not cover it up. Okay, because he didn't have to. There was no new funds coming in after the third one. The why would he cover it up? Um, so because we're afraid he would take from the stuff that was already taken. I know, the whole phrase of Truma and so on. And you ain't tarmin You know, you only tarmin min achadat al achadat. It's all new because it's all that year. I know, I understand. Okay, let's finish it in this mission. We'll see the whole ritual here. Okay? Taramatari Shona with Shemer Tisrael. He took the first one for those who lived in Israel. Okay? Now, there's a question here, what does that exactly mean with shame? Because obviously, the korbanot are supposed to be for everyone. The simple sense of the Mishnah is, you know, the first group of funds was collected from, from Israel, that was the nearby people, right? And therefore, so that was for them. The second group was those that were a little bit removed. The third group was those that were even further. But is that really true? So the first third of the year, whatever it would be, well, actually, it would only be two months to, to just, would only be the korbanot for people for Israel, and after that, only for the people, and after that, even... So, the Brita, which will be quoted in a minute, it's in the Tosafta, the Gemara is going to quote, basically says, he said, I'm taking this from the money of the people of Israel for the sake of all of Israel. And then when he did the second fund, he'd say, I'm taking this from the money of the people in the nearby countries for the sake of all of Israel. And then the third one, he would say, I'm doing this from the people from, you know, Bavel for the sake of everyone. So it would sort of acknowledge where the funds were coming from, but at the same time say it's being done for the sake of all of Kla Yisrael. Okay, so let's read this. Now that's an interesting phrase. Normally we talk about, in, which we learn Megillah, and Mukaf means they're surrounded by a wall. But here it's Mukafim La. They are surrounding Israel. Okay, they are the, they are the, but it's funny the phrase of the word Krachim, because Krach means like a metropolis, a big city. So why, you know, the use of the phrase Krachim HaMukafim, and using it not to refer to surrounded by a wall, but surrounding Israel, is quite interesting, the reuse of that phrase. So, the second one for the lands or the, 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 the cities that surround Israel, they, their monies would come in second, and the second truma would be for them. Rashli Shif, the third, which was a six months later by Sukkot's time, L'shem Bavel, L'shem Madai, L'shem For Babylonia and Media and all, all the distant lands. Those would be the monies that would come in the latest. Okay, so let's take a look at the Gemara. So Beit Ilu So again, this whole use of the word truma, the Gemara doesn't understand why Rebbe Gamliel was so insistent that his money would go into the into the basket, and and it makes an analogy from a case of truma. Ilu kiryim kiryim kiryim. I don't know how to pronounce it. Anyway, the Torah me echad mehen You have two mounds of grain, 
and you take truma from mound one, and it should work for the second mound as well. It should work for both mounds. Kirayim. No? Kirayim. Oh, I guess so. Isn't kirayim though what you type, what you're referring to? The oven. Yes, same, it's the same word. Hanur v'kirayim. That's the oven. This is a carry. A carry. This is a carry. A carry is a mound of grain. I don't know. Cream. Anyway. Krayim? Okay, anyway. Okay. Vitara me'echad mehen al chavero. Shemelo patar chavero? So again, notice this whole use of the truma model, like real truma of grain. So if you took truma from one mound of grain and it gets to this mound and the neighboring mound, obviously both of them would have truma taken. So if I'm going to take my truma of money from the stuff gathered in, and it's going to be for all the money, including the money left behind, it all works, it's all representing and coming from this money. Why do you care whether your money's in the basket or it's left behind? So the Gemara says, Hanachas ruach that makes them feel good. They wanted to make sure their money was the one used to buy the korban. Nobody was saying you wouldn't be yotze. Obviously, what about everybody else whose money was left behind? But, you know, they wanted to feel their money was being used. All right. What? <laughs> I guess if you're the Nazi, you get to do what you want. Um, okay. Tani. Now we turn to Breita. Shamat et katav liot. Let's say the tarp slipped. Nasu kulon shirayim. Everything becomes shirayim. Now this gets oh, to the question. He did it at the end. He took the tarps off. No, 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 no. It, it's so not. I know, but okay. But it's. Uh, but if you take a look at the success, uh, that's clear that this was an accident. And this gets to explain the question that Michael's asking, which is why did you need to lay the tarp? Why couldn't you take it from what was left? And again, this is somewhat like this Truma model. I can't say anything other than that the Chazal are somehow modeling this after Truma. So if you basically took Truma, a mound of grain from this pile, right, and then you got brought in new grain, right, you can't take Truma on the new grain from the old pile. You can only take Truma from stuff that hasn't had Truma taken from it. So they are modeling this after this Truma idea. And therefore, what they have to do is, they have to lay a tarp down so this new money, the true is taken from the new money. If you took it from the old, oh, that was already taken from. That can't be a good taking of truma. So let's say you laid down the tarp, you put on the new money, and then the tarp slipped out, and it all got mixed up. Now you're stuck. You can't take truma because it's all mixed so together. Okay? So, we'll, so we'll take a look at what you're going to do. Put it in a basket next to it. Uh, okay, so let's take a look. Right, exactly. And without consequences of not following those rules, I guess. Right. <laughs> right. So, all right. So, um, okay, anyway, so, um, so where are we? Okay, so, so, Shamatata Katavliot, Nasu Kulan Shirayim. It all becomes mixed, so it's all like it's Shirayim, and therefore you can't take from the mixed stuff so what you'd have to do a new taking out you'd have to like collect new funds presumably now yeah, we're going to see well, well that we're going we're to discuss that what does happen to the leftover money yeah, and we are going to discuss the position of Rebbe Mayer who's more realistic who says who cares new money old money it's all going for the it's yeah, also going to the checkout right so anyway well, so let's so think everything is we just said a second ago you just have to like it's not clear. Let's and keep on reading sure a little bit more. Something like thing? that. Let's take a look. It's not clear. Let's keep on reading, okay? So it says, um, uh, Now, the third uh, collection, which was from Bavel and Medina Sayam, that was the mo- had, the, had the most wealth. It was the richest, the money that was collected in the third collection. Why? It had in it these istariot of these gold istariot. Some say it means that the istariot, which means like clothes, which is funny because we've never been talking about giving objects. We've always been talking about giving money. Presumably, these are certain types of gold coins. The dark konot zahuv and gold dark konot, which we mentioned before. Right. Now, do you remember why we mentioned gold dark konot before? Because well, it's too much to carry. Right. Because if you're taking it long distance, you want to convert into more valuable coins. Now, if that's the case. It doesn't really mean that the stuff in the third collection was, the, the total wealth was more. It just meant that the coins were more valuable coins, but the total wealth might have been the same. 
right? I mean, everybody get that point? Just because you're converting it to gold doesn't actually mean that the total value is yeah, more. Nevertheless, though, one imagines that since they had the most time to get the third collection, right, they got, they made the announcement in Rosh Chodesh Adar, right? This was stuff that had the most time to come in. It was collected basically between Sukkot and, uh, and Pesach. So it had the most time to come in. And also one does imagine, and, and not only imagine, we know that the financial situation of the Jews in Babel was much better than the Jews in Eretz Yisrael. So actually it's quite possible that it's not just that the coinage was of gold as opposed to silver, but that actually it was much more, they, much more monies were coming in. Now everybody's supposed to give the same, that's true, but you know, what did they say, you know, they made this point that right, when they did the Chinese census, when they did it, like, you know, when they did a census for the tax base, and then when they did a census for sort of distribution of benefits, like the difference was like a few billion people or something, whatever, I don't know, to tens of millions of people or something. So anyway, so who exactly winds up giving, you know, even if everybody gives the same, and also, who knows, there are probably more people in the yeah, widespread bubble than just in Eretz Yisrael. Right, so... Exactly. So anyway, so I don't just think it means that it was gold, but it was converted into into more precious things. It probably does mean that there was much more money in it. And if you think about it, the third truma had to last a half year. Right? The first truma from Pesach only had to last two months. The one from Shuas only had to last like four months. Right? And the one from the third one had to last the whole remainder of the half year. Okay. Six months. Right. So, okay. Um... Tani, we turn to Brisa. This gets to the point that yes, it was done from the people of Israel, from those monies, but it was done for the sake of Klai Yisrael. So you did it, it's like you're saying it's from these monies, but you're doing it for all of Klai Yisrael. I think the Tosefta is even a little bit more explicit. Let me read the line in the Tosefta. It says... Um, it says like this Tarmatri Shonav the Amar right it has like the whole ritual he took the first one and he said Harezo Me'eret Yisrael this is from the funds of Israel I'll call Yisrael for the sake of all of Israel V'dochva V'chipa V'katavliyat and then he covered it with this tarp because then you're going to have money from Surya that's going to be added to it. So behold, this is coming from these lands for the sake of all of Israel. And then you covered it. And then the third one you said, Okay, so you basically like made this pronouncement and you did this whole ritual. So pretty much what we said, just a little bit more, um, more explicit. Um, all right. Now, by the way, I said I was going to tell you the way the Rambam reads it. It's hard to see where the Rambam gets this idea, but the Rambam actually said that there were two stages. The same way that there were these three baskets, what he actually said is first, each basket had three sa'ah. So the Rambam said that first were these larger, like, uh, containers of nine sa'ah each, and he had three of those. So you took all the money out of the rooms, um, out of the room, and you put them into these nine sa'ah containers, three of the nine sa'ah containers. And then you came with your three baskets, and from container one, you emptied into basket one, container two into basket two, and each one was the third of the size, and you did that three times for each, you know, period. So the Rambam sort of like doubles up the number of threes that were going on. So I just wanted to mention that. You should be aware, I've been reading this Gemara, not assuming the Rambam, because there's really not much of a hint to that, and it complicates the reading of the Gemara. But he would try, he reads some of that into the Gemaras we've been reading. Okay, so now the Gemara continues. Now we're going to get to this issue about the Shirayim and what the status is about the money left behind. So, let's take a look. Um, uh, Tani, we're talking to the Brisa. Natsumina Rishona, Alpha Pishyesh Parishana, Notomina Shniya. Natsumina Shniya, Alpha Pishyesh Parishana, Notomina Shlishit. So, presumably, again, it's not exactly clear what this means, but let's assume it means not the first, second, it could either mean you did the first Trumah at Pesach time, and then comes along Shavuos time, and even though there's money left behind, you do from the new stuff. That's pretty obvious. That's what we've been saying. It's not going to work, because then it's going to say you go back and get the old stuff. So, it's easier to read this that it's talking about the three baskets. Right, they removed from three baskets, I'll affect Gimel, right, at each one of those three times, and we said they would use up those baskets in order. 
So this Brite is saying they didn't completely finish basket one, completely finish basket two. They did basket one, and they left a little behind, and then they went to basket two. And then they left a little behind, and they went to basket three, and then they reversed it so that they did like one, you know, cycle. And then by the time they, they would get, get finished, by the time they would get back to basket one the second so time. So that your problem of being, it's not with Darwin? No, this is all from... All from the Pesach thing. We took a Pesach time, we took three baskets. All of that gimel. We gotta use this fund between Pesach and Shavuot, okay. right? So we start, we use a basket one, well, then the basket two, the in the, uh, wherever these baskets were moved to. Correct. So, so even though you leave some behind or even though there's some behind you go move over to the number third one now when you, you finish up number three you go back to basket two now basket two is done you go back to basket one and by now you should be used up all three baskets and hopefully it's time for the next truma all three are done and you need more money and it's not yet time for the next truma, what do you do? You've got to start getting more contributions to come in. So again, I don't exactly know how you're getting more contributions. You've been getting more contributions but they're from the outlying lands. So what exactly means is not clear to me. Rabbi Meir Omer, like, I mean, because you get it, everybody's been giving their shkull in. Does Chose Vishoka mean get from new funds that have been collected, even though it's not yet the time for the next truma? Not clear. Reb Meir has an easier solution. Reb Meir Omer, Chose Vishirayim. Reb Meir says, I don't understand it. Go back to the first, you know, if you first took from the Eretz Yisrael funds and you used up those three baskets, get more from the Eretz Yisrael funds. And you'll get the, by the next truma, you'll get from, you know, the next set of funds. But big deal, go back to the stuff you've already used. It's not like it can't be taken drawn on those funds. Rav Meir would say that Me'ila applies to the remainder funds because maybe you'll need to draw on those remainder funds. Now this gives a hint to the question Michael was asking, which is, what happens to the remainder funds? It suggests that according to the Chachamim who argue on Rebbe Meir, those stop being Kodesh. Like, now again, that presumably they'd still be used in the base Hamikdash, presumably used for some type of operating expenses, but they would stop being, I mean, if you think, Kodesh, if you think about the analogy to Truma, what happens by Truma? I've got all this grain, it's Tevel, I take the Truma, and the rest of the grain becomes Hulin. So it seems like the Chachamim were making a similar model. You have all this money, you take your Truma, and the, ba- the rest of the money goes into the Beit HaMikdash's discretionary fund. It stops being hectic for Korbanot. Uh, something like that. And Rebbe Meir says, no, it remains Kodesh, and therefore Mo'olimbo, if you misuse it, it's Me'ila. And the reason it remains Kodesh is, we might need to still draw on those funds. We might not, those three baskets might not be enough. We can't just desanctify the rest. Again, what's fascinating is what's going on according to the Chachamim. They created this whole ritual called the Truma, and and how did the funds stop being hectic if they were sanctified? Okay, but Rabbi Meir says, no, they remain hectic, and therefore, if you run out, you can go back to those funds. Okay, so now, and by the way, Michael, the is- issue before, if, the, uh, if the, the new stuff gets mixed up with the old stuff, so Rabbi Meir would say, big deal, you can still draw on it. Whereas the Chachamim, who are really treating it like a truma ritual, they have to say, like they say here, you, have, you do a new shokel mechadash. But I don't know what that means. You go to the same people who gave before and you ask them to give again? I don't know what Shokel Mechadash means. Okay, but this is what Rebbe Meir says. Now, now it's going to connect to Rebbe Meir, this famous statement of Pinchas Ben Yoyer, which is quoted in the Bavli, which actually is the, what the Sefer Mesil Shisharim uses as the structure for his entire Sefer, is the statement of Pinchas Ben Yoyer. What it has to do with Rebbe Meir's statement seems somewhat tenuous, but let's read it. This is what Rabbi Pinchas Ben Yar used to say. Um, sort of um, alacrity being, you know, be, brings to cleanliness. Meaning, if you're very zariz and always careful not to sin and careful to do things with a with a sense of you know urgency and like do do it the right way, then that leads to a great cleanliness from presumably cleanliness from sin. Cleanliness leads to purity, which is a higher level. Tara mivili de kedusha. Purity leads to, to holiness. Kedusha mivili de anava. Holiness leads to humility. One would have thought humility would have come earlier on the list. Anava mivili de yerashchet. Humility comes to fear of sin. One would have thought also that would have been earlier on the list. 
Okay, your great mevili de chasidus that comes to chasidut, which means like you know generosity, presumably, or or high scrupulousness of behavior. Not exactly clear what all the nuanced differences are here. Chasidut mevili de rochakodes that leads to divine inspiration. Rochakodes mevili de trias hamesim that leads to a resurrection of the dead. Meaning, presumably, if you reach this level of rochakodes, you'll be resurrected when the time comes. And resurrection brings about Eliyahu. Eliyahu is part of the whole process of, of Mashiach and Tchiyat HaMesim. So how the Chilami Kaper, he finishes atoning. So Kaper Kapara can mean atoning, but it can also mean to cleanse. Okay? Where you got the idea of Zrizus, maybe the Kila is like the Kula, he did it completely, he did it fully, and that leads to a cleansing. So therefore, there you had it. He cleansed it and it became pure. And that, by the way, is clear, right? Tahara means if you're Tahur, you're able to enter into the Beit HaMikdash and you're able to encounter the Holy. So Tahara is a, is a prelude to holiness. God was most highly, it was most high and, and sanctified. And for and I look down to the lowly to the to, to those of lowly spirit. So holiness leads to God is so holy, and that translates into humility. Anava nivili de yuatchet, and humility leads to fear of sin. Um, anava yirat Hashem. As a result of anava comes fear of God. Yirat chet mivili de chasidut. Tchliv the chesed Hashem me alam barulam. God's kindness is from for eternity. Al yirei av for those that fear Him. So yirat chet is said as yirat Hashem, and that leads to again here chasidut is God's chesed, but somehow leads to a person being a chasid as well. Chasidut mivili de rocha kodesh. Chasidut in the sense of compassion, or presumably piety. By the context, it means compassion, but also by the context, it's God's compassion. So I don't know what to say. Then you have spoken in a vision to your righteous, to your pious ones. So if you're a chasid, you merit Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh and Ruach HaKodesh leads to the resurrection. I will give my spirit in you. And you'll be brought back to life. That's the vision in Yechezkel. So therefore, if you've had Ruach HaKodesh, you'll be brought back to life. Now, what does this have to do with Rebbe Mayer? Who knows? But apparently, Rebbe Mayer, because he's so key, he's basically saying, I want those funds to remain Kodesh, so you might need them again. So he's being very careful. He's being Zaris. So because he's being covering his bases, I have no idea why of all types of things to connect the statement of Pinchas Ben was the idea that Mayor said, oh, wait, we have to keep the funds Kodesh just in case you'll have to draw on them again. Maybe the Chassidus is God's Chassidus, because they're internal, personal characteristics and qualities to what God brings about. It's amazing. Right. Maybe that's not you. you know, right. God, so this is at the point where that... Oh, the Chassidus is coming from God. Yeah, and that's the possible also. Uh-huh. Oh, that's nice. And that connects to the Ruach HaKodesh. So it's, uh, it's funny, the phrase Chassidut from God, normally you say Chesed, but maybe... That's a good point. I mean, the ultimate chasidecha is referring to the person being a chasid. But anyway, okay, so now to end the parak, Tana B'Shem Rebbe Meir, Komi Shekavua Be'eretz Yisrael, now another Rebbe Meir statement, anybody that is fixed in Israel, not just visiting, you're living there, you made aliyah, umitaber b'lashan ha-kodesh, v'ochel peirosav b'tahara, so it's all this kedusha idea, you speak in the holy language, you eat chulim b'tahara, kedusha tahara, v'kar kriya shema b'boker v'erev, so, okay, I don't know exactly how that fits the theme here, obviously, but it means surround yourself with God and recognition of God. <coughs> Very nice. I have no idea what that end had to do with our, this discussion about it, but what we do see is the way they have really ritualized this Trumat Halishka to this whole point of Shirayim and making it unsanctified what's left and you can't draw on what's left and they really sort of not only turned it into a ritual but it had halakhic implications about the status of the monies that were left behind. Okay, starting tomorrow we'll see what they actually did with the money. <laughs> every time you have a writer, yeah. a writer 